Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I want to bring a a message this morning that God has really been challenging me with, and I wanted to share it with you if I could. By the way, that's what preachers do. God works us over and then we share it. Amen? Amen. But I want to be real serious about the message today, and I'm going to be honest, it's not a deep theological message. It's not an overly expository message by any means. But I think God's going to do a work this morning. Have you prayed for that? Have you prayed that God would do a work in your heart today? Listen, it's Mission Conference Week. There's a lot of meetings that take place in this church over the course of a year. There's staff meetings, there's school meetings, there's church meetings. But I dare say the most important meeting that we have will be this week. Missions. And it's time for us to see what God would have us to do. God is here amongst us. He's promised that, right? God's going to do a work in these services. So there's no shortage of that. I think the gap could come in on our end, right? And I just want to challenge you today, and the title of my message today is in the form of a question. It's simply this, are you compelled? Are you compelled? We're going to be over in Matthew 27 this morning. If you want to turn there, we'll get there in just a minute over Matthew chapter 27. Thank you for the water. I am from an area that has a lot of humidity. How many of you like humidity? That's what I thought. Not very many. Matthew 27. Boy, there's power in the Word. Amen? Remember a story of an elderly lady that got out of church on a Sunday evening, got home, went in her house, flipped on a light, and when she got in there and flipped on the light, there was an intruder in her home trying to rob her. Of course, she was startled to death. And she didn't know what to do. And the first thing that came to her mind was the passage that the pastor had preached that evening. It was over in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38. And so in a moment of panic, as she flipped on the light, saw the intruder in her house, she screamed out, Acts 2, 38. And the intruder froze in his steps. And she was shocked at that, but she quickly called 911. Soon after, the police show up with lights and sirens blaring, come into the house. As they come in, the intruder's still standing there, froze. The officer went over without incident, handcuffed his hands behind his back and started to walk him out. But it got the best of the officer. He said, young man, can I ask you, why in the world didn't you just run when you were caught? And he said, well, that old lady's crazy. She said she had an axe and 238s. (laughs) Power in the word, amen. Are you compelled? Are you compelled this morning? You know, there's been various times in my life where I felt God's compelling. The very first time I can ever remember, and I suppose the first time that God ever compelled me, was as an eight-year-old boy. As an eight-year-old boy, I was in a home that uh, was out of church. My dad was saved, but completely backslid. Four children they were raising. We weren't in church. I knew nothing about church, about the Bible, knew nothing about God. 
Thankfully, one Saturday morning, there came a knock on our door, and it was some folks from the church that were wanting to start a bus route in our area. They invited me to church. They told me if I wanted to ride the church bus, that there would be candy and games. And I said, man, sign me up for that, right? So as an eight-year-old boy, I jumped on a church bus and rode it to church that day. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember walking down a long hallway. The last room on the right was a Sunday school room I walked into. And as I got in that Sunday school room, sat down, I'm just soaking in everything. I remember the teacher was doing a presentation of the gospel on flannel graph. How many of you know what flannel graph is? All the old people have got their hands up. Look at that. And I understood that day what the gospel was about, that Jesus Christ had died for me, God's only Son had died for me on Calvary's cross, that if I would receive Him as my Savior, that I could go to heaven with God, and He would forgive me of my sins. And man, I wanted to do that. That was the first time in my life I felt God compelling me. And thankfully that day, as an eight-year-old boy, I bowed my head, asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, asked Him to save me, and my life was forever changed for all eternity. And I won't take time today to tell you, but as an eight-year-old boy, it changed the entire course of my family as well. My mother, my father, my sisters, my brother. The next time, if I were to jump forward, would have been as a teenager, 15 years old. I remember the pastor preached on a Sunday evening. I don't remember the message, but I knew God was compelling me to make a decision. I was sitting way, way back on the left-hand side of the auditorium, we, and I went to a really large church, and as the invitation came due, I knew that God was compelling me to make a decision. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew God was wanting me to respond. And as I sat in the back, I came up with all the excuses that I could come up with. What are my friends going to think if I walk down to the altar? Seems like it takes five minutes to get down the aisle. Everybody's going to be looking at me. And all those things that run through your mind sometimes when you're in the pew and God's compelling you. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? But thankfully again, God compelled me and I responded again that day. And I walked down the altar, I knelt, and I just said, God, as a 15-year-old boy, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm willing to give you my life. And when I got up off my knees, I knew that God had called me to full-time ministry. I thank God for that compelling. Then I could probably put in a couple of other things, but I'll jump forward to November of 2000. And God introduced us to Hope Children's Home, just a chance meeting. I was at a church preaching at a preacher's conference, and a few children from Hope Children's Home were there in a choir and were singing, and they told a little bit about Hope Children's Home. It seemed like just a chance meeting, kind of like today that you're here by chance at the mission conference, but we know that God has pre-orchestrated all of this, right? And it is no chance that you're here today, and it was no chance I was there that day. And God used that in my life, and He compelled, began to compel me, began to compel me to become a part of Hope Children's Home. And through a series of events, that's exactly what we did. And now 22 years later, God has blessed, and we're thankful that God's allowing us the privilege to serve these children at Hope Children's Home. And I say all that today to say two basic things. I have experienced God's compelling in my life, and with that compelling, there always comes an opportunity to respond. And you see, today I just can't imagine that God's not compelling some folks in here today 
and tonight and this week through the mission conference. And He's going to be laying some things upon your heart. Maybe it's to begin to give to missions. Maybe it's to give more to missions. Maybe God will compel someone here today to surrender your life to full-time ministry. God compels. I think what happens sometimes is that we get so caught up in the large scheme of things. In other words, we know that God loves the world. Amen? For God so loved the world. Thank goodness for that we have. God loves the, the folks of Africa and Asia, and He loves the folks of Central America and North America. He loves humanity. He loves the world. And we get so caught up in that, we think that we're just one person out of many, that we're maybe a little unknown and unimportant. But I want you to know today that God does love the world, but that God also loves you, and He loves you, and He loves you, and He loves you. And God sent His Son to die for you and for me. So although God does love the whole world, He loves you and He loves me. You see, God didn't create a population. In Genesis chapter 2, He created a man and a woman. Because God wants an individual relationship with us. As God created a man and a woman, God also deals with us individually. You know, as I think about that, I think about how God compels us individually. He didn't compel everyone to come to Hope Children's Home, but He compelled me individually. God leads us individually. He leads us down different roads in life. He leads us down different paths in life. He orchestrates who we are and what we are and where we should go. And He does that on an individual basis. God directs us individually, directs us in where He'd have us to go and where He'd have us to be. How many times have you found yourself at a certain place at a certain time for a certain reason? Well, I've found that many times, and the reason being to share the gospel of Christ with someone. God, this is a great one. Not only does God compel, lead, and direct us, but this is an amazing one to me. It's one that I don't even think we can get our head around, and that is God dwells within us individually. Isn't that miraculous? The God, the creator of the universe, dwells within us in the form of the Holy Spirit individually. I mean, it's, it's something that is something we can't even get our head around. God convicts us individually. How is it that pastor can get up and he can, he can, he can preach on uh, being faithful and someone comes and joins the church? God convicted them of that. How can God, how, how is the pastor talks about uh, uh, being a faithful church member and someone comes down and, and, and accepts Christ as their Savior? Because God convicts us individually. And we see this individualism. Let's look over here in Matthew 27, if we could, this morning at our text. Matthew 27, verse 27. The Bible says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plowed a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe from him and put his crown of raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Oh, aren't you thankful for Jesus? and the price that He willingly paid for us. Look in verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him 
they compelled to carry the cross. Simon. Who's Simon? Well, he's really a, a nobody, if we could say that. He's mentioned three times within three places in Scripture. We don't know much about Simon. But Simon was compelled that day to carry the cross of Jesus. And Simon might have felt like he was a nobody. He might have felt like he was unworthy to carry the cross. He might have felt that he was unimportant. But I don't believe it really mattered what Simon felt that day because God had called Simon to do a job, to do a work. Simon was compelled that day to carry the cross for the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon might have thought, well, what difference could I possibly make? But the simple truth was God needed Simon that day. You see, Jesus was in all points as man, yet without sin. Jesus had just endured a horrible beating that many men wouldn't have been able to endure. He was almost unrecognizable. And I believe that Jesus was a man's man, not some wimpy individual. Amen? And he was doing the best he could with the weight of the cross under him. And Simon was compelled to help that day. Whether he felt he was worthy or not, or whether he felt he could do the job, God needed him that day. You know, when I look at that, I'm reminded of a time in my life back in 2002. My wife and I were newly at the children's home, just been there for a couple years. Honestly, the place was a mess. We were working as hard as we could. We were working about 100 hours a week, and, and, and for a couple years, I don't even think we took really a day off. And amongst that time and trying to figure everything out and get this thing upright, I remember God laying upon my heart, compelling me, compelling me to start a children's home in a third world country. Now, what a crazy idea. <laughs> How am I possibly going to do this? And there's a miraculous story that goes along with how God brought me to Honduras that maybe I can share another time. But I ended up in Honduras on type of a survey trip. We flew into, flew into San Pedro Sula, Honduras, then over to short flight to La Ceiba. And I began to ask some of the locals, is there a need here to help children? And oh, yes, there's a great need. Our children are starving and they're needy. And, and they pointed me to a spot that, that would prove that. And so I'd taken one of my young men with me, one of our staff members, and we climbed up on this hill. And as we climbed up on the hill, we were looking down in somewhat of a valley. And in that valley was the city garbage dump. And as I was assessing this and looking around the edges of the garbage dump, it appeared to me that there was some makeshift type housing around that dump corrugated tin leaned together, cardboard boxes. And as I was looking and trying to assess the situation, a, a large semi garbage truck came in there and turned and then backed up onto that garbage heap and dumped the semi trailer of garbage started pouring out. And as that happened, I was shocked at what I saw. I saw children coming out of those little shanty housings and running up onto the garbage. Most of them had very little, if any, clothes on. None of them had shoes on. Most of them were only about waist tall or smaller. And they began to dig through the garbage trying to find something to eat or something usable, something to sell. And I, I, I told the young man with me, I said, listen, you count that half, I'll count this half of how many children. We counted the best we could with them moving around, and the best we'd come up with there was about 300 children that day. And I remember looking over that hill, knowing God had compelled me there, but it was overwhelming. I didn't know 
how this could possibly happen. And I remember the tears just running down my cheeks, and I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know the language. I've never even been out of the country except for a cruise boat. I don't, I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. How would I begin to care for all of these children? I can't do this. And God spoke as he does in that tender voice, and he says, you can't, but I can. Amen? I said, well, Lord, I know you can, and I have faith in that, but, but how do I do it? How would I even begin? I mean, we're looking at 300 children just right here. How could I possibly do such a thing? And God again reminded me, you do it just like you're doing in Tampa, one child at a time. You just start. You just commit. You yield to my compelling. And I'm thankful that day that God began a good work there in Honduras. And we're seeing God do great things. And we've seen hundreds and I suppose thousands of people saved through that ministry since then in Honduras. And I believe that we cannot witness the events of the cross and not be changed. And I believe that God has a compelling work to do in all of us as well, especially at this time during mission conference. That there's folks out here that God is compelling in some way or another. You see, I believe Simon's life was changed forever when he witnessed the events of the cross that day. And the truth of the matter is, as Jesus was weighted down under the weight, uh, bared down under the weight of that cross, he could have called thousands of angels to come and stop that whole fiasco, couldn't he? But God had compelled Jesus to do a job as well. And that was to die upon Calvary's cross so that you and I could have life eternal. And so Jesus must carry through with that. But the simple fact was that at that moment, Jesus needed Simon to carry the cross. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is no longer physically with us anymore. Jesus proclaimed the gospel when he was on earth, but he's not here anymore. And because of that, Jesus needs you to carry the gospel. He needs me to carry the gospel. You see, we're the only tool that he has to carry the gospel. There's a lot of different ways, printing tracts and preaching and all sorts, of, but it takes us, right? And that's what missions is about. It's about proclaiming the gospel. Whether it's here locally, at school, at work, around the world, that's what missions is about, proclaiming the gospel. And God needs us to be able to do that. Now, you might be as I am many times, and you come up with a lot of excuses of why God couldn't use you in a certain way. Maybe something that God has been compelling you to do or will compel you to do through this mission conference. Maybe there'll be some excuses that you'll have in how God couldn't possibly use you. Well, let me remind you, there's been many people throughout the Bible that had excuses that God still greatly used. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Try to overcome this one. Lazarus was dead. <laughs> Can't get better than that excuse, amen? John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Moses was a murderer. John ran from God's will. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. 
Elijah was burnt out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. And Noah got drunk. What's your excuse? God's got it covered. You know, growing up in church all my life, I can think back at a time that the preacher would preach, the invitation would be given, and I would see on a fairly regular basis back when I was a teenager probably, where folks in the church would come forward and kneel at an altar. And I'm talking about folks that had career jobs, had families, owned homes, had their life established. They'd come down to an old altar and they'd kneel and they'd surrender to full-time ministry. Brother Tomlinson, can you remember those days? We don't see that much anymore, do we? We don't see that much anymore where folks are willing to just give up everything for the cause of Christ. So why is that? Is it that God is no longer compelling? Is it that there's not a need like there used to be? Or could it be God is compelling and there's a greater need than ever, but we aren't yielding? What is it? We think we're not important. We think God couldn't use us. We think somebody else could do the job. Just two points today in this simple message. Number one, it only takes one person to make a difference. One person to make a difference. Point number two, and we'll be done. With blessings come responsibility. I remember a time where I was struggling with discerning God's will as He was compelling me to come to Hope Children's Home. Had a flourishing ministry in Indianapolis. Things were going great. Couldn't have been any better, as a matter of fact. So I was really struggling with this call, this compelling in my life. And I was uh, at a, a men's conference, and the preacher there said something just in passing. wasn't a point in his message, but God grabbed that and used that. He said this, if God lays a burden on your heart, that burden becomes your responsibility. And I knew what my burden was. It was Hope Children's Home. And I said, that's my responsibility. I have to do something about that. God needs every one of us. And He's got us here for a reason. And with blessings comes responsibility. Do you realize a few years ago that America held over 51% of the world's wealth? Take all the wealth of the world and put it in one great big pile, and America owned 51%. I think we're about 40% now, but still a significant amount of wealth in this country. We all agree that this is the greatest country on the face of the earth, right? Amen? We believe that God has blessed this country like none other, right? We have access to God's Word like many, many, many do not. We have riches, we have the money, we have the resources, and with that, with that comes responsibility. We have a responsibility. What is God compelling you to do? You know, I would ask this question today, what is your life worth? What's your life worth? Well, some might pull out a fancy portfolio and show me what you're worth, but that, that's, that's not really what our life is worth. It's actually the opposite. You know what our life is worth? Our life is valued by what we spend it on. My wife was adopted as an infant. Her biological father was an abusive drunk, and her mother left him. 
And my wife never knew him, the, the, who she calls her dad, adopted her as an infant. That's the only dad she's ever known and claims as her dad. But uh, a number of years ago, she got a burden to meet her biological father for two reasons. One, uh, she, she was wanting to check on some medical issues in the family. But more than that, God compelled her and burned her heart to find out if her biological father knew Christ as his Savior, if he was saved or not. And so she began, this is back when the internet wasn't as prominent, she had to make lots of calls, and it took months to track him down. And she finally tracked him down, we were living in Indianapolis at the time, she tracked him down at, in South Bend, Indiana at a homeless shelter. Got a hold of him, and we made arrangements to go up there and meet with Charlie. And as we walked in this little rundown cafe there in South Bend, Indiana, Way there in the back at a little metal table with metal chairs was Charlie. I knew it was Charlie because it looked just like my wife's oldest brother. And we went over there and we sat down. My wife had brought some photo albums with her. And she laid them out on the table. And she scooted over next to Charlie. And I kind of just scooted back from the table and just watched. And she started with her birth and was flipping through pages of her life. And then of our marriage and then of his grandkids being born. And I watched Charlie as tears just ran down his face. And I wondered what he must have been thinking. I've given all this up for alcohol. We had a chance to witness to Charlie that night. I asked him about the Lord, and he had a clear testimony of salvation. He'd gotten saved at the Indianapolis Baptist Temple under Dr. Greg Dixon's ministry. Told me exactly the time, the place, but said he just never could get over his alcoholism. We're thankful we had that meeting because it was just a matter of weeks that we got a call from the hospital, and it was the nurse, and she said, uh, Charlie has passed away, and we found your number in some of his belongings. We just wanted to let you know. You know, if, if I took a $10 bill, what is that worth? Well, not much today, Right? What that $10 bill is worth is whatever I spend it on. If I go over to the store and I buy, a, I don't know, a half gallon of ice cream for $10, and that's what that $10 is worth. It's worth a half gallon of ice cream. And you know, our life is the same way. Our life is worth what we spend it on. The nurse told my wife, my wife said, well, did he, did he pass away peaceably? Did he, did he struggle? And the nurse said, I don't think he did. When we went to move his body there was an empty bottle of liquor in the bed with him. What was Charlie's life worth? It was worth a bottle of liquor because that's what he lived for. That's what he spent his life on. And the question I'm asking today is, what are you spending your life on? What is your life worth? Are you compelled today? Are you compelled? God needs you as he needed Simon. He needs you. He's got very specific things that God needs you to do. And I think during this time of the mission conference is a great time to examine that. Let, let me close with this last story I'll share with you. It was in the winter time on a Thursday up in Indianapolis where I pastored for 12 years. Thursday nights we used as a visitation night for the sick and shut in and maybe some prospects that we hadn't been able to reach and get a hold of, folks that maybe had missed a few services, just kind of a, a checkup night, right? Just making sure folks in the church were okay. 
And we all met together, and there was about a dozen of us maybe, and we kind of split up some calls, and we used little cards where we filled things out on them. And, and there was an odd number, and I was the odd guy, obviously, right? And uh, so we matched everybody up, and, and so I went out by myself that night, and I had a little stack of cards, a couple of our elderly shut-ins I wanted to visit. I had, um, I think, a couple of prospects maybe. And then I had one unusual card. Someone had written on there a name and an address, and, it's, and wrote across the card, uh, she wants her children to ride the church bus to church. Thought, well, that's good. That's a good visit, right? And then I looked at the address, and the address was in one of the worst parts of Indianapolis, down towards the inner city, crime-ridden, gang-ridden. And I'm looking at that, and I think, first of all, I think there's no way I'm going to visit them tonight. It's dark, it's cold, it's snowy out. I'll catch that on Saturday. That's when we do bus visitation, Saturday. This will be a Saturday visit. And so I kind of hoped in my spirit that some of these other calls would take a little longer so that I wouldn't even be tempted to have to go down there to 16th and Tibbs Avenue in Indianapolis. I mean, that was a no-brainer. And as I made some calls, folks didn't answer the door. The calls were very short. And God kept compelling me to make that visit. He just kept compelling me, stayed after me, and, and, and I, would, I would look through the cards after one visit, and I, I wouldn't go to that one. I'd go to another one and drive somewhere else. But God wouldn't leave me alone. And so finally, and I'm bartering with God, God, you know that's a bad area. I've got a shirt and tie on tonight. If I go down there in that area, they're going to think I'm from the police, and I'm not going to make it out alive. I mean, Lord, this isn't going to end well. And I'm talking to God about these things and trying to explain to God how I didn't need to make this visit, but God kept compelling me to do so. And so finally, with a little bit of an indignant spirit, and I know none of you spiritual folks here today would ever be like that, right? Uh, but with a little bit of an indignant spirit, I said, God, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll do it. I probably won't be able to see the address. These are older inner city homes. They don't have numbers on them. It's, I probably won't be able to park. It's on street parking. It's been snowing. Snow's plowed. It's just going to be awful, Lord. But I'll do it. I'll do it. And so I went down there, and everything came to pass just like I said. I couldn't see the numbers on the house. I got close within about three houses, nowhere to park. I park about two blocks away. I'm walking up the sidewalk in snow up to my ankles. And y'all don't deal with that, do you, here, snow? Snow up to my ankles, and it's messy. And then to top it all off, get this, to top it all off, as I get near the home, remember I said it was a gang-ridden area? Well, sure enough, there's a whole group of gang members there from a group in Indianapolis that is notorious for crime. They're called the Hell's Angels. And they're there, and they have, you know, leather coats on. They're drinking beer. They're carrying on. And I'm thinking, great, Lord, this is how I'm going to die. This is how my life ends right here. This is the story written. And I go up to the hall, and I, I go up, and I kind of go past them. You're talking about awkward. What do you say? Hey, how you doing? You know, and just kind of walk past them and walked up to the door. I remember the door, it had, it had like a screen door hanging off the hinges. It had an old wooden door with uh, solid glass in it. And I knocked on the door, and the door just kind of opened by itself and startled me a little bit. And I could see back in the back of the house, very, uh, uh, very unfurnished. And in the very back, there was an electrical cord hanging from the ceiling with the light bulb screwed in. 
And under that light bulb, there was a lady, and she turned and looked at me, and I kind of said, hello, hello. And she uh, came walking towards the door with a very pleasant look on her face and came up to the door, and I said, uh, a good evening. Sorry to bother you, but I'm Pastor Mike from Liberty Baptist Church. Same name as your church, amen. Liberty Baptist Church, and I had a note that maybe you had some children that wanted to ride the church bus to church. She said, oh, we do. We see the bus go by with the number, and I called. She said, let me get them. And so she hollers for the kids, and here come the kids, one and two and three and four and about five kids. And I'm so excited at the fact that I've made this visit this night. And I begin to get the kids' names and their ages and their grades, and I'm telling mom about our church and what time we'll be there, and I invite her to ride the bus to church, and she said she might ride as well. And then God wasn't done. He began to compel me because there was a gentleman sitting behind her in a lazy boy chair. He looked just like the gang members outside, had the Hells Angels vest on. And I began to try to inject him into the conversation as well, but he, he wouldn't respond. You know, sir, you could, you could, we'd love to have you come to church as well. Just no response, no response. And now it's getting late because I put this visit off all night. It's about 9.30 at night. And so I'm saying my goodbyes, and as I'm getting ready to wrap up, she's getting ready to close the door, God compelled me to share the gospel with that man. I didn't know how, didn't know what to do, so I just reached in my pocket, and I pulled out a gospel track, and I stepped one foot in the door, left one out in case I had to get out of there quick, and, and I handed him that gospel track. And as I did, he took that gospel track in his hand, and the last image I have of him, he's sitting in that lazy board chair like this, looking at the gospel. And I dismissed myself, and Sunday morning came around, and I love the bus ministry. That's the reason I love Hope Children's Home. We have bus kids, but we get to keep them. Amen? And I drove a bus until the day I came to Hope Children's Home in the pastorate. I drove a bus every week. And I drove a bus that morning, pulled up in front. How many of you have ever done bus ministry? All right, you know from Saturday to Sunday, things change a whole lot, right? <laughs> you never know who's going to show up. So I pull up out there, and it's been Thursday to Sunday. I pull up out there, honk the horn, wondering if anybody's going to come. The door slaps open. Kids start coming out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. About ten kids. They had invited some of their friends even. Man, I was rejoicing. They jump on that old cold church bus and get in there. A little boy about ten years old gets, down, gets in the seat right up behind me. And man, he's just talking a mile a minute. He's calling me preacher. Hey, preacher. And he's telling me all sorts of different things. And he said, uh, preacher, preacher, guess what happened? I said, what? He said, my uncle died this week. I said, oh, he did? And I'm driving. Oh, he did? Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, I was asking him a few questions. I said, well, when did he die? He said, he died Thursday night. I said, Thursday night? Well, I was at your home Thursday night. Yes, just after you left. I said, no, well, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, yeah, he was sitting in his chair, and uh, just before 10 o'clock, here's what the boy said, he fell out of the chair on the floor, dog dead. And I'm starting to put things together. And I said, your uncle fell out of the chair. I said, what did your uncle look like? He said, uh, he, uh, he had long hair and a lot of tattoos, and he always wore a black vest. I said, was that your uncle sitting in the chair when I was talking to you Thursday night? And he said, yeah, he fell out of that chair, dog dead, just after you left. Oh, my. You realize what God had just done? He had compelled me all night long to make that visit. 
I wasn't very submissive. I argued with God. I had every excuse in the world why I shouldn't do it. But you see, God loves us so much that He's willing to work with an old hard-necked sinner like me. And He loves us so much that He wanted to give this man one last chance before He passed out into eternity to accept the gospel. That's how much God loves us. Now, I don't know whether he got saved that night or not, but I know God gave him an opportunity. And you might be here today, and you think it's some accident that you're here. I'm here to tell you it's not. You might be here today without Christ as your Savior, and just as that man, this could be your last chance. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but it could be, right? We can't guarantee tomorrow. And God has given you this opportunity to accept Christ as your Savior today. And then maybe you're on the other side of things. You're a born-again believer, and you're like me, and God's compelling you to do something. Maybe it's to give to missions as never before. Maybe it's to surrender to God's call. Maybe it's just to be willing to say, God, whatever you'll have me to do, as I did as a 15-year-old boy, and let God figure out the rest. But I believe God's compelling today. There's no problem in that. It's whether we're going to be submissive to His compelling today. Are you compelled? Are you compelled to let God fill in the blank? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.